Would you pray this prayer this morning? You don't have to say it out loud, just in your heart. Just say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer from your heart to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, our prayer this morning is that you would be glorified. Everyone hearing this message would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a teen and finally had keys to a car, I remember the first movie I went to see, which I'm sure my mom and dad weren't happy about that. I grew up in a very conservative Baptist home and movies were taboo, but the chains a little bit. And I remember I went to my first movie on my own. I'd been to movies before, but this was, I drove there, right? I'm not going to tell you if I had a date or night. I'm not going to tell you. But I went to a movie, and uh, you'll understand that era. Those of you in the room who, when I do this, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know exactly. Daniel's son, Mr. Miyagi, which, by the way, I've heard a comedian this week, and even last night I went to the play at Oxford, and, and our own Heidi is, is one of the leads of the play, and she did that during the play. And I'm like, does she even know what that is? Because she's too young to remember the Karate Kid. It was iconic at the time. And remember the crane kick. The crane kick was impossible to defend until you get older. You ever watch the movie lately? I mean, I remember trying to turn it back on and, and watch the old movie, and it was awesome. When we went to the theater, it was the best movie of all time. When I watched it later, I'm like, this is pretty dumb. And then the crane kick, by the way, I mean, it's not impossible to defend. It's the most obvious kick that's ever coming. He telegraphs it for like five minutes. You know. And here's how you defend the crane kick. Number one, do not run face first into it. Because that's what happens in that scene when, when Danielson does this. And then he throws the kick. The guy runs in face first without any defense and gets kicked right in the face. You didn't watch the movie, did you? If you did, you would remember. It's, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But we do remember the part of the movie uh, that's, that's impossible to forget was the whole... You remember all the movies, Rocky. All the movies had the workout scene. You know how Rocky, when he found out he had to fight somebody, it would be a montage of running. Remember, Rocky had to run up the stairs and all that. I've been to Philly. I've tried to run those stairs, had to walk half of them. But the montage, right? And in Karate Kid, what was the montage? He had to fight. He wasn't ready to fight. So Mr. Miyagi brought him over to his dojo. If you grew up in my, you know what that is, right? And, And what did Mr. Miyagi do to get Danielson ready to fight? Wax my cars. Wax the cars. And he had like eight cars, right? Remember? He had to wax all of them. When he got done with waxing the cars, what did he have to do? Paint the fence. Remember? Remember paint the fence? And the whole montage was Danielson waxing on, wax on, wax off, right? Paint the fence, paint the fence. And that montage went on forever. And and Danielson finally gets tired of it. And he's like, I'm just doing your work. And then Mr. Miyagi throws a punch, right? And Danielson blocks it because he knows how to wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, right? Remember? Yeah. And, and it was like, oh, Miyagi's a genius. It was in the everyday stuff, Danielson learned how to fight. That was the idea. 
now it's pathetically stupid when you look at it now and you realize that never would work. And yes, Miyagi was just getting free work done, right? Free labor. But today is one of those messages in Ephesians where Paul, Paul kind of like Miyagi says, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Wax on. Wax off. Paint the fence. He's going to talk about everyday living that makes us different than the world. I want to say from the beginning this morning that this is the hardest, one of the hardest messages I've ever had to preach. It's a hard text. I want you to know I understand the complexities of this passage. It's probably the most, one of the most understood, misused passages in Scripture. And, and I just want to say, ladies, before your mind explodes and before anybody crashes the doors to leave the room because you're so offended, stay for the entire message. Paul had a full message that he planned to give. And if you just hear the first part, you don't get the whole message. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Go ahead and get there and say, oh no. <laughs> Here he goes. What is he going to do with this? Well, you are lucky. You're in the first service today. It just so happens that in the second service, we have out-of-town guests that are coming. A long time ago, my daughter told me she's getting married in April. Her and her fiancé wanted us to meet the new in-laws. And so they planned a meeting. Like, they were coming to town. They live out in Washington State. So they flew here, and we had dinner Friday. I thought it was going to be dinner Friday and done. And no, Caitlin informed me that it's dinner Friday, brunch Saturday, the school play, back to dinner, on, and then they're coming to church on Sunday and lunch. And it just so happened it's this day when I have to teach women Submit to your husbands. Slaves, submit to your masters. And people read these things and they either make erroneous conclusions or come to the wrong conclusions or get angry or worse, come to the conclusion that God is wrong. I spent time, I read so much, my eyes were bogged over this week of all the reading I did in preparation, and I was saddened that preachers of the word of God who've written books about Ephesians have even came to the conclusion that, well, you know what? Everything Paul says is okay until this, and he's wrong. That breaks my heart. If you ever read scripture and come to the conclusion that God is wrong, maybe you don't understand. Maybe you've got a wrong interpretation. Maybe you need to learn more and understand more about what was being taught. So stay with me today. Please wait. Let's hear the whole thing, and we'll get it in context, and hopefully we'll get it right this morning. Let me read the whole context for you, and then uh, we'll go back and make points on it. We're in Ephesians 5.21. I'm going to read out of the ESV this morning. I'll tell you why later, but I like the ESV and the NIV. Those are, are two pretty good translations. In the ESV, it says, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. Please, women, do not explode. Please. I understand. I, I do. I totally understand the fear 
as a person who's done over 50 weddings, I can't tell you how many brides I've sat down with that have said, do not read that passage. Again, the conclusion was that God was wrong when he demanded this. Was he? Or is his way the best way and we need to learn more about what was taught here? So women, thankfully nobody left. I'm glad you're still here. Stay, please. Now let's talk about what I want to focus on today. Husbands. Guys, eyeballs here. You probably wouldn't get up and leave, but you're going to get beat up today. I don't mean to, but I believe that this passage hinges on the middle section. And the onus is going to be on husbands and men today, fathers. Paul's writing is so logical, and you'll see what he does if you want to take a look at this passage. He talks to a person who needs to submit to somebody, but then he talks to the person who is head, and he gives them a lot of things to live up to. He talks to wives about their relationship with the husband, but then he tells the husbands, but you've got to be like this. He tells children to obey their parents, but then he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. He talks to slaves about honoring and doing good work and masters not to abuse. What is all that about? Does the Bible approve slavery? No. No, let me try my best to explain today. Hopefully at the end, we'll all leave here and say, God is good. God is wise. He knows best. But husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. And masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture today. Here we go. The big idea today is walk like Jesus. But submission? 
I think everybody has a a reaction to that word submission. It starts this passage with submission. Verse 21 is actually belongs to the last section, but it is a great, it's a great transition between last week's message and this week's message. It starts with submitting to one another. By the way, People that abuse this passage forget that. The whole context of this is underneath mutual submission as brothers and sisters in Christ. But we struggle with that. The trouble with submission, right? The trouble with submission is I don't want to be abused. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want to be walked all over. Let me tell you, God is not approving of abuse. He does not want you to be walked all over. He doesn't want you to be taken advantage of. That is not the teaching in this passage. But we have to understand submission. In this context, everything is, refers back to Christ and his church. As the church submits to Christ, it's head. That's what we're called to do. Christianity teaches us that we submit, and it's hard to do. Let's go back to what I say most things come down to, selfishness or selflessness. We are Selfish people at times, self-concerned people, self-absorbed people. Submitting to somebody else sounds awful. No, you're not in charge of me. You know, we, we grow up with a sense of teenage angst and we keep it most of the time. And so what is Paul saying here in Ephesians 5? Submission, really? Well, let's talk about it. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What do we see there? The word is hypotasso. I looked it up because I'm like, man, I'm going to figure this out once and for all. That this word is obviously just misunderstood. And, you know, the, and it turns out hypotasso, it means submitting. Everybody say submit. I'm going to tell you there's no walking away from it today, friends. And I'm not going to water it down. I, I made the choice that I'm going to preach it as I see it. And I'm going to tell you what I believe is right. And it is up to you what you choose to do with that. Hypotasso to submit. Does that mean to obey? No, it doesn't mean rote obedience. He could have used the word he does for children. Minor children, obey your parents. That's what you have to do. He doesn't say obey, wives. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Questions about this for wives and children. What if I'm asked to do something that's illegal or wrong? What if, what if I'm asked to rob a store? No. Notice how Paul always says, as to the Lord or in Christ. So if, if your husband comes to you and says, hey, listen, here's what we're doing. We're knocking out the sea store this weekend. You're the driver and I'm the, and you, 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 wives, you definitely look at it. I'm sorry. I cannot do that because everything is submitted to first and foremost, God. God is at the top of this whole thing. Christ is at the top of this whole thing. That's where we start with our submission. And if anybody ever tells you to do something that goes against God, then no, they are not superseding that. They are not supreme to that. God is sovereign. So wives, if your husband is telling you to do things that are wrong and against God's word, then no. We're not talking about rote obedience. What are we talking about, about submission? Well, biblical submission does not make us inferior to the person with whom we're submitting. You need to, I think that's the problem. Honestly, the trouble with submission is we automatically say, I'm not putting myself under. No, I'm not demeaning my, no, it never tells us that. And I'm going to keep going back to the church because that's what Paul did. Paul says, this is a profound mystery, this marriage thing, how it's going to work. But let me, let me explain it to you about Christ and his church. 
Friends, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and we're all equal. Yet I'm called the lead pastor. I have six elders at this church and they're also shepherds. I'm the lead shepherd, they're shepherds. How is this going to work? It will never work. If I, called the lead pastor, will not submit to my elders. And it will never work if those six elders don't submit to their lead pastor. Oh, this is a recipe for chaos. Yeah, in a lot of churches, it doesn't work. Guess what? In, in life, in a lot of marriages, in a lot of homes, it doesn't work because nobody's doing it. And there's a lot of churches that have horror stories about pastors that go off the rails. Why? Because they refuse to submit. We have rogue boards that will not respect their pastors. Why does that happen? Because they refuse to submit. Nobody likes to submit, and they always feel like it's an inferior thing. And the Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible actually say? Before it tells us to submit, willingly choosing to put ourselves under the authority of somebody else, what does the Bible teach us? Galatians 3, 27 through 29. Still Paul, still Paul, Paul says, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female. You are all one in Christ. What does the Bible teach? Absolute equality. We are equal and one in Christ Jesus. So if you're still struggling with defining submission, it is not being inferior to somebody. We all live out different roles in our relationships. That's how God set up his church. Pastors, you're, you're called to lead, but you better do it like Christ in servanthood. Have, have you, I, don't, I don't mean to pick on pastors or churches, but I am one, so let me pick on pastors and churches. I've been to churches where the front parking space reserved for reverend so-and-so-so. The best parking spot. You know where ours is? Ours is by the dumpster. And I, I didn't even put a sign up there because I don't have to fight for it every day, you know. I, I just learned early on, don't put up a sign reserved for the pastor. Why? Because I'm the, I'm the servant. I am the, I'm the lead, but I lead by serving. I take the last parking space. Sometimes if it rains, you'll notice some people will be like, oh, the pastor didn't feel like submitting today. He's parked up closer. No, I'm, I'm parking in the wet spot. There's a, there's a spot out in the parking lot that's three inches deep in water. And it's awful. I would hate for a lady to get out of her car and step in three inches of water. So when it's really wet, I'll put my truck there. Why? I might be lead, but I don't have a reserve spot at the front. And that's Right. I might be a lead pastor, but if you don't see me with a vacuum in my hand every once in a while, if you don't see me serving every once in a while, there's something wrong. Christ tells us about leadership. It's servant leadership. When Christ come, did he say to everybody, serve me. I'm here. Take care of me. No, he became the servant of all. Our problem with a passage like this is we want to translate it in Western American culturism. And can I just tell you that the Bible is a book upside down. We're taught that the last will be first and the first will be last. So why are you fighting for the first position? Because the first position is the last position in the first place. To be in charge means to be responsible. In Christianity, to be ahead does not make you 
better than everyone else. It makes you accountable more than anyone else. So I hope you have new eyes to see this passage this morning and understand God was not giving us a passage to tell husbands to run ramshot over their families, that they're the ones to be served, and that anything that happens is, I better like it, I better be for me. It's absolutely just the opposite. We might have the head roll, but that head roll is a servant roll first. This passage has been abused. I have heard groups misuse this and teach that women are to be submissive in all things, whatever the husband wants and says. That's I taught you how to look through the person you're struggling with and see Jesus, and then do it to Jesus. Wives, this way of living, you might need to look right through that man you've got and look at Jesus and say, I'm gonna do this because I'm doing it as to the Lord. Let's walk through the what we learned. This is what Egrich says, by the way, in his book. I'll, I'll break it down for you real quick. He's come to realize that most marriages live in a crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. He reacts without love. She reacts without respect. He reacts without love. And the crazy cycle gets worse and worse. The crazy cycle. Most marriages live in this crazy cycle. If, then, when. We tell God, okay, great plan, God. So if he does this, then, then I'll do this. No. Paul did not give us an if-then-when. You're not guaranteed that your partner is going to understand this and live it out, but you are responsible to do what God's will is, irregardless. So the crazy cycle is a terrible place to live. You can't live in a marriage in this without love, she reacts without respect, without respect, he reacts without love. It's a crazy cycle, Right? Instead, he suggests the rewarded cycle. His love, regardless of her respect, regardless of his love, regardless of her respect. We can't sit around waiting for everybody to live up to God's standard for us to live up to God's standard. Start living God's standard. And no matter what position you are, it's better than a crazy cycle. So let's start where the Bible starts with wives. Wives, respect your husbands. In everything. Now, Again, you could do a big study on this, which I did, and it means in everything. I I can't soften this. I'm not going to water it down for you. Paul was very clear. Wives, respect your husbands in everything as to the Lord. Does this mean that, you know, my husband demands this every day at nine o'clock? He demands this for dinner every night. No, no, that's, that's really silly. That's bullying. That's nonsense. We're talking about a spiritual component to a marriage here. And so the things that a husband would be needed to respect would be decisions that are worthy of that, not not small demands. Men, we gotta be careful not to use this as some way to get everything we want, right? Again, that's not what Christ called us to, but we'll stick with women for right now. Wives, respect your husband in everything as to the Lord. Example, Jesus is head of the church, That's how Paul gave us. He said, now now wives, listen, you need to understand this is like in the context of the church and Jesus. You respect Jesus. He's the head of the church. What is this word head? Kephel, which means head. (laughs) The responsible party. Men, I want to say first and foremost, I know I'm talking to women, but men, I I gotta keep telling you, men, the real charge and call is to you in this passage. The real call is about you. 
in what you need to do. Because being the head, it's, it's just interesting in life. It always sounds better than it is. We, we elevate that as if, wow, I remember the five years I spent as an international youth speaker. That was my greatest title ever. You know what? It stunk. And it sounds great. Everybody thinks that sounds great. Oh, you traveled the world. Yeah. Yeah, I spent hours in airports alone, away from my family. You know, the title sounds good. It comes with a lot of responsibility, a lot of work. And in the Bible, I'm gonna remind you over and over again, the question is not who's capable, it's who's accountable. And God has chose that men are accountable. So men, hear me today. The onus is a lot on you here. Now Paul chose to start with wives, tell them about respect, but then he always comes back to the person who's calling for respect and he tells them how to live up to this, right? And so he does that with children, he tells children and then he tells the fathers, don't exasperate. Husbands are to lead as head of the family in a Christ-like way. God's plan is that there would be a husband that would lead like Jesus. That's important. That's important. So wives, stick with me. Don't give up on this passage today. I want to jump off of that and get to what I... This is where I feel more comfortable. <laughs> I feel more comfortable talking to the husbands today. And so men, you need to hear what this passage. Immediately after this, Paul starts to talk to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. What is the command? Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How do we, what do you see me? Just like Jesus loved his church. In every wedding that I do, I tell that guy who's uncomfortable up there in the clothes, you know, is excited about kissing this girl and just wants to move on to the dinner, you know. And I, I always stop and have a little message and I always talk to him and I tell that guy, listen, God tells you to love her. And I mean love her with everything you've got. The illustration is what Christ was to his church. What was Christ to his church? Well, he died. He died for his bride. So I tell every young husband, listen, buddy, you got to love her to the point that you're willing to die for her and everything in between, which includes changing diapers, helping with dishes, you know. There's a big swath there. Everything. Like Christ loved his church. Christ died for his church, and then Paul gives us the illustration that Jesus presents his bride as holy, Men, your responsibility and accountability to God is that you would present your family to him holy. Don't get this wrong, men. Your goal in life is not to present your family as happy. I do believe that if you're a godly man leading them to holiness, they will be happy. I think this is a great recipe. But God didn't call you to present your family happy. He called you to present your family holy. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you a mystery. This is, this is about Christ and his church. This whole thing is built in that analogy. Christ and his church. So men, you're called as head to be a head like Jesus was. Was Jesus overbearing? You better answer out loud. Was Jesus overbearing? No. Was Jesus abusive? Was Jesus selfish? The definition of love is the definition of Jesus. Selfless. Willing sacrifice. Men, do you want to know what it means to be the head? Selfless, willing 
sacrifice for the good of another person, even if they don't deserve it, not expecting anything in return. Men, that's God's call for you and your family. If you've used this passage in any way, men, over the years to look at your wife and say, the Bible says for you to do what I say, you don't understand this passage. And women, I I just want to say to you today, if you're in an abusive relationship where you're being physically harmed, we need to get you out of that relationship. Come talk to us. We, We don't believe women are doormats to be walked over. We want to help you. So women, your pastor is not telling you to do anything your husband says. It's respect your husband as the Lord, as to the Lord. And men, your calling is pretty high. Are you willing to die for her? Are you loving her selflessly and self without concern? I mean, love her like Christ loved his church. Do everything you can. Why? To present her holy and pure. That's what Jesus did. And then just like your own body. Now, I don't know, men. I've really studied this this week, and I, I can't help but to think that Paul just said, okay, I'm talking to guys here, so what are they going to understand? Do this for Jesus do this like Jesus, and if at, you can't get that, do it for your own good. Paul was like, guys, you just, you got to get this right. Love your wife as you love your own body. Because everybody nourishes and takes care of their own body. Love like your own body. Why? Because you nourish your own body. Men, I mean, have you ever just sat there saying, I'm so hungry? I don't know about you, but... When I get hungry, I go eat. I, I tried the Domwich this week. Anybody have a Domwich in Oxford? There's a lot of restaurants in the world. There's one in, in Oxford that has a Domwich. Interesting sandwich. Why? I was hungry. When Don Jackson get hungry, I don't sit there and just say, oh, well, my wife's not here to feed me. I'll wait patiently till she cooks for me. No, when I'm hungry, I feed myself. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, you slobs. When you're hungry, you go eat. You ought to care for your wife like that. Care for your wife like you do your own body. When you're hungry, you take care of yourself. Men, you all know that when we get hurt, we're babies. Wives, look, eyeballs here, wives, wives. Don't be looking around today. My wife would tell you if she was here, she would say, oh, he's such a baby. If he's got any problem or pain, I'm always like, oh, Julie, I don't know. I don't know, I'm gonna need, and she knows I'm gonna go to Amazon and order stuff. I always order stuff. That's what we do. Men, when we're hungry, we find food. And when we think our back hurts or our knee hurts or our shin hurts or my pinky hurts, we go to Amazon because there's stuff. And my wife teases me because I have two closets in my room. One of them is just apparatus that I've bought over the years for pains and aches, you know? Julie's like, what's this charge? Oh, I... I felt bad that day, so I ordered something, right? I mean, we do. We feed ourselves and we care for ourselves. And men, I'm telling you, at the base level of what Paul is saying is, men, you need need to at least love your wife like you care for yourself. If you know what's good for you, it's another way of saying this, by the way. Paul's like, if you know what's good for you, you're going to love your wife. Happy wife, happy life. Paul does tell us that we nourish our bodies and we care for our bodies. So husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. 
The reason we have a problem with this passage is Christian men have not been honoring God in their position of responsibility. Don't call it a responsibility of authority. It's responsibility and accountability. Men, you've been called to be head. Love your wives. Another way to say this is men, lead. Men, lead. Not out of aggression, not out of testosterone. Lead like Jesus. In this passage, Paul quotes Genesis 2. He said, a a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. The two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis 2. So I want to pull four things out for you men today out of Genesis. Things that we learn about men, about leading. Men, you lead by providing. Big news in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. God gave Adam a job and then brought him a woman. Man already had a job in the garden. So ladies, young ladies, listen, if you're here today and you're, you're, you're dating and thinking about getting engaged to a 28-year-old something, living in his parents' basement, using his parents' credit cards, kick him to the curb. You're, you're searching in the wrong place. You want a godly man? A real godly man leads by providing. Now, I am not archaic in saying that the man works and a woman stays home. No, I'm not saying that at all. But one of the things that men can do by leading is provide, lovingly provide for your family. The second thing we see in Genesis is lead the way spiritually. By the way, Adam had a relationship with God before Eve was brought into the relationship. Men, we need a relationship with God. And most of what you're talking about today in a family setting is talking about spiritual leadership. To present wholly your family to God. So again, this is not about domination. This is not about your personal whims and desires. This is serving the Lord. Leading by providing. Leading by spiritual. And men, I'm sorry, but, but we've, we failed. Over the years, men, we have failed to lead our families and we let our wives lead because you know what, men? They will. Ladies, I hope you don't hear me saying you're not capable. When, when the Bible tells you that first point that you should lovingly respect your husband, that doesn't mean you're not capable. You are capable. And honestly, most women are doing it. They're leading their family. Why? Because the men don't step up and lead. I talked to a woman this week and she said, that's true some of the time, but actually some of the time we women, we just want to lead. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I'm not a woman, never been one. But I do know this. God made the man accountable for this. So I'm gonna talk to the men today. Women, if you got a problem with submitting, if you got a problem with respect and that's something that is a spiritual issue, that's something you gotta work on. But I'm here to tell you, men, God called you accountable to provide and to lead your family spiritually. We've got to step up. In Genesis, we also see that the man led the way in romance. Oh, here we go. Eyeballs here, men. Men, step up in the area of romance. You're like, where's he getting this out of Genesis? Do you know that the first recorded human words was a love letter from Adam? When he got a wife, he wrote about it. She is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He wasn't great at it, but he wrote a love poem. That's the first recorded words of mankind. He was so overcome by what God gave him. He wrote poetry. Men, love your wives. 
lead in love. Man, we've, we've, we've abdicated our role here. We've abdicated our responsibility to God to lead. We should lead the way in romance. Guys, have a date night. Provide for a date night. Make sure there's money to do it. Don't always wait for your wife to say, honey, why don't we? No, no, men, you plan it. You live, you lead. And lead in sacrifice. That, that's the huge point here in this passage. This is not a dominating male, and everybody reads it that way. Everybody reads this as a, as a testosterone, male, authority, abusive. No, it's not. This is men leading like Jesus, sacrificially first. C.S. Lewis said, men in marriage, in the marriage relationship, you wear a crown, but that crown you wear is first and foremost a crown of thorns. Men, do you hear me? We do not run around like kings of our kingdom. We run around as servants like Jesus. I love that C.S. Lewis said that. Man's responsibility to lead is to be done in love as a servant. Matt Chandler he said, a, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife respecting her godly husband creates a relationship that the world would never look at and say, how disgusting and archaic. Do you see what I'm saying? Men, if we would love our wives with everything we've got selflessly, ladies, you would have no problem respecting that, amen? And if we had homes where godly men were leading and ladies were respect, not, not diminished, with full capability, but still saying, I respect my husband's accountability to God. The world wouldn't look at that and say, that's dumb, that'll never work. And that's what I hear over and over. In the church, I hear it. I hear pastors saying it. Paul was wrong. No, he was not. And God is not wrong. He knows the best recipe for your life in your home. If we would just live this out, the world would be so jealous. If the church would lead this way, the world would see something and they'd say, we want that. We want this self-sacrificing love relationship between husband and wife. Well, we'll move forward. By the way, each one of these, I put the word love and respect in a Christian household. So wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. The third aspect of a Christian household was children, obey your parents. In the Lord, once again, if somebody's being abusive and saying to do things that are illegal or wrong, then no, you don't obey that. It's not rote obedience. But children, your position is under the head of authority in your household. And it says obey your parents. Parents, by the way, but people always say that the Bible is misogynistic, only about men. He included the wives here. He included the mom. Children, obey mom and dad in the Lord. For this is right. Why would he say this? Well, parents, understand your accountability here. You represent God's authority in your household. Parents, don't think it's cute when your kids are are rude and disrespectful. Don't think it's cute and funny when they disrespect your wife. Husbands, you should never let your children disrespect your wife. Don't ever allow that in your home, no. Parents represent God's authority on earth, and that's important. Husbands and wives, teach your children to obey you because you're teaching them to understand God's authority in their lives. This is important. 
So, in the Lord, parents represent God's authority. And then I love that Paul says, honor your father and mother. What do you do when you're not 18 anymore? (laughs) I think this passage talks about young adults. Because children under 18, as we know it, under 18, it's just obey your parents. Whatever they say, you do, right? Unless, unless it goes against the state or against God's word, obey your parents in the Lord. What happens when they become 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 55? I turned double nickels this week, and I feel it. I bought more stuff on Amazon. <laughs> my mom's watching, and I, I love my mom and dad, but my mom, I, I love my mom. Every once in a while, she'll throw it out. I watched you today. Are you sure you should wear jeans when you preach? And did you have to wear a Harley shirt every time? And I said, Mom, it's okay. Oakwood's different. It's just different. I'm okay. They're okay with me. I'm okay. It's okay, Mom. See, some people would read this passage and say, Donnie Jackson, obey your mom. Guess what? No, thank you. I love my mom. When I was 18 and below, I needed to obey her. Now my role has changed. I must honor my mom and dad. So lovingly, I say, Mom, I don't look at her and say, You foolish woman. I am lead pastor of Oakwood Community Church. I shall wear my Harley and my jeans and you shall submit to me. No, I I don't do that. I'm like, Mom, it's okay. You know why? Because I know she loves me. Mom, my mom loves me. She doesn't want you to hate me. She's concerned. And this is something I tell young people. Guess what? There's something about being a parent that never ends. Most teenagers think that at 18, all of a sudden somebody flips a switch and then you don't have to listen to your mom and dad anymore. I'll, I'll fly the coop and I'll be free. Guess what? Parents will always parent you. I'm 55 and my mama still tells me what she thinks I ought to do. And I love it. Here's the difference. Some, some, some young people get all upset. I can't believe it. My mom's still trying to tell me. Guess what? She's going to. But you're 25. Stop worrying about it. Love her and do what you think is right, but honor her. What does that mean, honor? If it's not road obedience, then what does honor mean? Honor means be thankful, attentive, and caring. Things start to shift. If you've got older parents, the care changes, Right? They took so good care of you, then all of a sudden when they get older, it starts to shift and now we become thankful for what they've done, attentive to their needs and caring all the way through. That's honoring your parents. It doesn't mean, you know, that I have to do everything my parents tell me to do anymore. No, but I listen. I am attentive. I want to honor my mom and dad. I love what they did, all the opportunities they gave me. I respect that. I don't want to dishonor them. So we honor our parents. Then the Bible says, for your own good. (laughs) I love this one. This is a great teaching where Paul says, do it so that you'll live. (laughs) Now, parents, this is not what you look at your kids and say, do it or die. Don't do that. What what does this mean? Well, this actually kind of means, you know, what is it? Live well and prosper. (laughs) You know, this is the original, live well and prosper. What Paul is saying is, Life is better when everybody does their godly roles, when everybody knows where they're at, we're equal. Guess what? Kids, you're equal in God's eyes to your parents. And yet he has given them the responsibility and accountability to raise you. 
Sound familiar with husbands and wives? You know, equal, but God has given roles. And he expects us to live those roles out. So parents, this is important. Bring up your kids. And then he right away goes back to fathers. Point here. Remember how he said, honor your father and mother. Obey your parents. And then Paul comes back to the person who's usually the problem. He doesn't say parents. He then says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Man, I'm telling you, if we would listen to what this passage says, you would understand that leadership, headship, is not about some lofty position. It's about caring, selfless servanthood. Fathers were told to train and instruct. Don't exasperate your children. Don't just constantly berate them. Don't just constantly put them down. Don't constantly make things impossible to them. But train them and instruct them See, we guide not for our convenience, but for their development. That's what leading in the home looks like. That's what being a dad looks like. Some dads get it wrong. Wives, you would say, I argue this whole case because my husband's doing it wrong. You know what? Yes, people do get it wrong, and they don't live up to these standards. Sometimes fathers make rules for their own convenience. Children should be seen and not heard, right? And and no one... And, uh, Fathers, love your children, not for your own pleasure, but to train them and to instruct them. It's about God-shaped discipline. Like I said earlier, you represent God's authority on earth. Therefore, you've got to teach your kids to honor and obey you. I remember as a teenager, I walked up my driveway with my buddies. We parked out on the street, and my dad was washing a car. And I remember walking up the driveway, and I said, I don't know where it came from. I just thought I would try it. Kids do try stuff. I remember saying, what's up, old man? That was one and only time I ever did that. I remember the, the hose just dropped. And my dad said, you want to say that again? Sorry, father. <laughs> oh. By the way, there's a good point there, parents. Understand that your teens, they are going to be pushing the line and pushing the limit. That's what they do. When I say that parents will always parent until you're 80 or 90, whatever, your, your mom's still going to mother you, that's their role. Guess what kids' role is? They're going to push the limits. Our role is to teach them godly discipline and show them where the right line should be drawn. Not to exasperate them by putting lines everywhere that it's impossible to please you. And fathers, let your kids know you love them. Give them God-shaped discipline. Why? Because we've got to shape their hearts and minds. We do that better out of love than we do anger or selfishness. If it's self-centered discipline, then we're not going to be teaching them anything. Love them. Shape them. It's a big, big task there. And then we get to the bond servants. I've got to wrap it up. I knew it was going to go long today. Let me just explain to you a couple of things here. Stick with me. The Bible does not lift up slavery as we know it, as Anglos. The Bible was written in the Greco-Roman world where there was slavery, but it was totally different than chattel slavery, white people taking black people from their homeland and bringing them. It was not that type of slavery. That's why I like this term bondservant. There was nothing of a racial tone about 
bondservant in the Greco-Roman world. These were not black people serving white people who were stolen from their homes. These are indentured servants. Most of them were either uh, uh, penal, uh, so they, they were in trouble with the law, and so they were forced into bondservant. Uh, and then some of them uh, were in debt, and they couldn't pay their debt, so they became bondservants. Some people sold themselves as a deal to make their better spot in life. Not this, what we're talking about has nothing to do with chattel slavery, Europeans taking black people. That's wrong. I condemn it. We all should condemn it. We all should stand against slavery. But this is what the custom was of that day, the culture of that day. And I want to go back to something very important. Look in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter five, and you're going to see that the headings usually put here are Christian households, rules for Christian households. Then why would he talk about husbands and wives, children and parents, fathers and children, and then slaves and masters underneath household rules? Because we don't understand what we're talking about when it comes to Ephesians 5 and what Paul was teaching. This type of a bondservant lived in a household with people. Now, this is a awful, awful, awful illustration. The only thing I could think of was the Brady Bunch. Remember Alice? Alice was the servant of the Brady Bunch. And she lived in the house. And they loved Alice. Alice went to Hawaii. Thank you, old people. Alice was with them and loved by them. and She was their bond servant. She was their servant. Now, I cannot make that comparison with a straight face because I I know that there was abuse in the Greco-Roman world and that's what Paul is going to address. But by no means is he saying slavery is okay. By no means does the Bible approve of what we know of slavery. Do a deep dive, do a deep study and you'll come to the conclusion I have. Paul was talking about bond servants who lived in a home because these are household rules. So in your house, you've got father and mother and children and you've got a bond servant that's serving your family. Bond servants, you're told to respect and serve as you would to Jesus. Do your work well. By the way, many pastors will stand up and say, okay, it was different, so we're gonna make the analogy of a boss, an employee and employer. It's not the same. I understand, and if you want to make that, you can make that today. If you want to look at these things and say, okay, I don't have a bondservant living in my home. What's the closest I can get to that? Maybe employee, employer, but don't forget, Paul was talking about Christian households. Christian households with Christian husbands, Christian wives, Christian children, Christian workers, and Christian bosses, right? All living in a household. So respect and serve as you would Jesus. Do it with a cheerful disposition. Be committed to excellence. Do your work well, Paul says. And had an attitude of a servant. That's what Paul tells people that find themselves in this tough position of having to serve somebody else. Do it with a good heart and a good attitude. And God will reward you is what he says, Paul told them. So then he goes to the masters, the one that's the boss. And he says, love and respect. I tell you, if you understand, it was radical for the time for Paul to look at a person who had a bondservant living in their home that they owned, they were property. And so he looked at them and he said, hey, love and respect your worker. Equality within diverse roles. 
Use your position like Jesus did. Paul was telling people who had servants working in their homes to treat them with love and respect and equality in Christ. And they probably went to a lot of the same churches. Can you imagine going to church and you owned bond servants and communion came time and, and you got to either serve communion to a, a master or a master's got to receive communion from a, because at church there is no kinds. There's no race, there's no nothing. We're all equal under Christ. So Paul was teaching humility here. Unthought of in that Greco-Roman world. Use your position like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He lifted up. He didn't tear down. And he humbly led. Don't forget, Jesus, creator of the universe, took on a towel and washed feet. Paul says, masters, that's how you're to treat people that work for you. In a servant-like way. Guys, this is revolutionary. For anybody to come to the conclusion that Paul was wrong, God is wrong when he tells husbands how to lead, wives how to to respect their husbands and children to obey and honor your parents, and then in a household in this situation. No, it's right. (laughs) My conclusion is going to be different than many. I'm going to tell you with strength today, God has the best way. We need to understand it. We need to check ourselves and see. We're called to a new way of living. By the way, none of this is possible except for how Paul started this whole thing. Remember, I'm going to tell you how to live the Christian life and it's impossible. So you got to be filled with the spirit. Paul already said this in Ephesians. Men, if you're going to be the head, if you're going to lead, you better be filled with the spirit to live that out. It's hard. Wives, if you're going to respect your husbands, you're going to run into difficult situations. You're going to need to be filled with the Spirit. And what else? We all ought to be walking in love and respect. Love and respect. Everybody say it with me. Love and respect. All of us. Love God, love people. Why are we surprised? The message here is to love God and love the people in your Christian household. Are we surprised that when Jesus was asked, what's the number one command for living? He said, love God, love people. That's the center of the mark. If you want to know what the bullseye is, how do I hit God's bullseye? Understand what your calling is in life, who you are, and how God told you to live that out. And do it to the best of your ability, as unto the Lord. Love God, love people. I think we survived. You're still here? Nobody threw anything here. Thank you. I understand. I want to close by saying again, I understand this is a difficult passage. I think it's been misunderstood. You might disagree with me still. I understand that men have been abusive, that men have been exploitive and selfish. I understand. That's why I decided to look at men and say, men, you've got a higher calling than that. We can stay in the crazy cycle. Ladies, you can keep saying, well, then when he loves me, I'll respect him. And he'll say, well, when she respects me, then I'll start to love. That's the crazy cycle. No. Husbands, love your wives. Regardless, women respect your, regardless, men love you. Regardless, women respect your. Children, obey your parents. It's right. Nanu, nanu, you'll live long. And then when it comes to this whole issue of slavery, nothing to do with what we know of as recent slavery, but a culture there. Jesus didn't come to fix culture. 
He didn't come to fix culture, but he did tell people who were in certain positions in a culture how they could do that godly. And that's what we're taught here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a difficult passage, but I thank you for teaching us many places in Scripture about how you loved us. God, you're sovereign and supreme. The fact that you would serve us is unbelievable. What an example for us then to follow. May each of us, no matter what position we are in life, may each of us love and respect. Mutually submitting out of love for Jesus, help us to live this out in a godly way. May the world see something different, something positive by the way we choose to live our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. We've gone long today. The team uh, has willingly let me go long, and so they're not going to come and close us in prayer or close us in a song. Would you stand with me? Let me just do a quick blessing, and then you'll be gone. Father God, bless them. May your face shine upon them. May you guide them. May you give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. Have a great day.